Good evening and welcome to another episode of Nigeria Politics Weekly. As usual, my name is Michael and co-hosting with me is Phoenix. Today we have two guests. Our first guest is Rotimi. Rotimi is a, commercial, a corporate lawyer, DJ and political satirist and is the author of a book called Chronicles of Chill. Our second guest is Osea Neni. Osea is a hotelier and member of the People's Democratic Party. Now, the three big stories we're discussing this week are firstly, the death of Nigeria's Chief of Army Staff, Lieutenant General Atahiru, in a plane crash. Then, secondly, we'll be discussing the, the labor strike in Kaduna State and Governor El Rufai's threat to arrest the labor leaders. And thirdly, we'll be discussing the social media attack on Atiku Abubakar, who was the presidential candidate in 2019. Uh, he was criticized for his statement about the Southern governor's uh, meeting. So firstly, to the death of Lieutenant General Atahiru. Phoenix, he died in a Nigerian Air Force aircraft. It was the Beechcraft Air King Air 350. This is the third crash of this same aircraft type of the Nigerian Air Force. So what is going on, Phoenix? Is, 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 is this a, uh, is the plane itself at fault or is this more maintenance or pilot failure? Or why does this keep happening, Phoenix? Hi, Michael. And uh, hi, uh, Tex and uh, Ose. Thanks for joining us this week and hello, listeners. Um, I mean, we lost not only uh, General Tahiru in that flight. I mean, I think there were like 10 or 11 other people. Um, may all their souls rest in peace. Um, uh, another sad loss for, for Nigeria's armed forces. I think that's the, that's the third crash uh, this year alone. I mean, you raise a great point. I mean, typically in aviation circles and uh, I mean, when, when things like this happen um, consistently with the same type of aircraft, I mean, that aircraft immediately gets pulled because it suggests that there's something wrong um, with, with that particular aircraft and it needs to be looked into investigated thoroughly. But we never hear, whenever these crashes happen, especially military crashes, we never hear the outcome of the investigation. I mean, to, to let the public know exactly what happened. Was it, was it malfunction? Was it uh, weather? Was it uh, pilot uh, failing? Um, and, and, and I think the other consistent thing is, I think it's typically upon um, uh, takeoff or, or, or landing that this, these things have happened. Which, which suggests that there's a pattern to, to what has been happening. And I mean, it, it behoves on the national, um, Nigerian Air Force to look into this, I, I mean, to make sure that I mean, this, this stops happening, but I, I, I don't really know who's going to hold them to account to make sure that happens. But I mean, this, this is a big, big loss for, for, the, for the country. I mean, this is your serving chief of army staff who's only just taking, taking the reins. Um, and I mean, 
I would say, I mean, when, when somebody new comes into office, especially after we have been clamoring for a long time for the removal of his predecessor, because I mean, he had quite clearly failed and had been too long in that position, you at least have some small hope that maybe there will be some change with a new voice in place. Maybe, maybe something will happen that will begin to bring some positive change. Um, I wasn't holding my breath given the controversy around his appointment. Um, I mean, we were told that he had been disciplined, he had been um, um, removed from a post because he wasn't competent, and then all of a sudden he rises to become chief of army staff. But be that as it may, we were expecting at least a change. But now he's gone in, in very uh, um, sad circumstances, and also, I mean, it took away some other officers as well. I mean, my condolences to their families. Um, and I pray they, they find the strength to bear the loss, but absolutely spot on that we should be looking into the issue of all of this aircraft crashes that is happening in Nigerian Air Force and ensuring that, I mean, this aircraft particularly should be pulled out of service and there should be a thorough investigation into why this has been happening and to ensure that uh, it doesn't happen again. Thank you, Phoenix. Um, Ose, Phoenix has raised the point that he thinks um, there should be a thorough investigation this time to prevent these things from happening again. What I remember during the Babangida Abacha years, there was a chief of naval staff at the time, Rear Admiral Dan Preston Omashola. And I know that he was always reluctant to fly with Nigerian Air Force planes. Rather, he would use chartered flights provided by, there was this aviation company in Nigeria at the time called Donia. And he'd only use chartered flights provided by Donia because he didn't trust the, the safety record of the Nigerian Air Force. So the, the question to you also is, do you think any other senior officers are going to ever want to fly via Nigerian Air Force pilots? Or do you think we're going to revert to the time when these guys will probably be, even be using other chartered airlines or just normal commercial airlines like Arik and the others? What, what, what do you think, Jose? I, I think they don't have a choice. I think their fears um, are genuine, but the president flies um, Air Force aircraft. He's, he's piloted by Air Force pilots. Um, so I don't think the service chiefs and senior military officers on official missions are able to fly commercial. Um, it, 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 it sort of doesn't convey confidence, and I, and I don't think they can, they can start to signal a lack of confidence in the Air Force at this time. Um, if I if I did have any concerns about you know the circumstances of this whole incident, it's it's just the particular nature of the craft. The Beechcraft is the Beechcraft 350s is for specialist surveillance operations. So if you remember, if you recall in February, I think when the first that plane crashed, they were going I think on a reconnaissance mission. Um, we had just lost or the Kagari or Kankara board. I don't remember which. You know they happen so. Frequently these days, it's, it's difficult to keep track. Anyway, some boys had been abducted, and I think these guys were were on a surveillance mission, um, and that made sense because the the Beechcraft 300 is fitted out for 
um, in you know surveillance, recording, reconnaissance, that sort of thing. You know, so you you then ask why is the chief of army staff traveling on a, a surveillance aircraft? It's not a passenger aircraft, you know, and the um, the air force does have passenger uh, jets, you know. So I, I don't understand why they were in that aircraft. It's it's also a very robust um, platform, so it's concerning that it's crashing. It it it, it, it doesn't crash frequently. So, you know, we're not aviation experts, but, and I don't want to even mention sabotage, you know, I, I would be more comfortable with, with um, a suspicion of a lack of maintenance. Again, just because of the history of the Air Force, most of our planes were grounded. And I think some of these uh, beach crafts were also grounded because of a lack of maintenance and were reactivated by the, the, Air Force chief before the one that just left. Um, so it's they're not new planes. We got three three Beechcrafts, I think in 2014, and they fell out of service, they were reactivated. So it's it's it, it could possibly possibly be a maintenance maintenance issue. Um, however, even saying that, I don't think army chiefs can afford to fly commercial. It would send out the wrong signals. Thank you, Phoenix. Um, I, I also agree. And no, so thank you, Osei. I, I, sorry, I, I, you all don't look alike. You, you are Osei. Um, I, I quite agree that it sends the wrong signals if the military are not flying their own uh, planes because they're worried about the safety of the aircraft. To uh, Rotimi, the other aspect I want us to consider is before we go into the, the meat of the, of the issues, the, it's, it's the fact that he was supposed to be flying to an event in Kaduna. Uh, it was an official event. And looking at the list of passengers, you have Lieutenant General Tahiru, you have Brigadier Abdul Qadir, who was his chief of staff, or in the, in the army, they call him Principal General Staff Officer. You have Brigadier Olainka, you have Brigadier General Kuria, who was the Director of Military Intelligence. You had Major Bayat, who was ADC to the Chief of Army Staff. You had Major Hamza, who was Chief Security Officer to the Chief of Army Staff. And you had Sergeant Umar, who was the Orderly to the Chief of Army Staff. So you can see that of the passengers who were supposed to be in his entourage, there was just one officer, Brigadier Olainka, who was a Southerner. Every other person in this entourage was 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 northern is 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 that is that normal for the chief of army staff entourage to be dominated by one section of the country what do you mean well <clears throat> i am not familiar with uh you know how how his predecessors staffed their their entourages but um it's reflective of even his boss's approach to staffing you know the, the the heads of security for for the nation i mean I, I, it's if you take a look at how the president has filled the offices of the heads of you know the key you know the, the armed forces the intelligence agencies the police um it, it reflects that same same pattern 
Um, and, and supporters of the president would say, well, yes, you, you, you fill those positions with people you're comfortable with because they're security positions, regardless of you know, the questions of federal character and considerations of you know, reflecting um, you know, a regional balance. Um, you know, but is it, is it normal? Is it, I, 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 I couldn't say. I'm not familiar enough with the history of it, of, you know, how, how others fill those positions, sorry. Well, thank you, uh, Rotimi. I know, for example, that by, almost like by tradition, your chief of staff or your principal staff officer tends to be from the other side of the country. I, I know, for example, the, the PSO to even Babangida was a general from Cross River State at the time. That was Anthony Upo. Anthony Upo, Brigadier Upo, was Babangida's principal staff officer. So it's, it's not normal to have this kind of arrangement. I know that uh, even Abdul Salami Abubakar, as head of state, his ADC, aide de camp, was Lieutenant Colonel Aprezi, who was from the South South. So I think it's this is the first time you have this kind of arrangement where the ADC chief security officer, even the orderly to the chief of army staff are all from the same uh, side. So the next question is to Ose. Buhari did not show up for the funeral. It was quite an emotional funeral. Uh, all of them were buried together in the Abuja Cemetery. Um, Buhari didn't turn up. He was represented by Bashir Magashi, who is the Minister for Defense. The Vice President, too, did not show up, even though they were both apparently in Abuja. Um, there were attempts to, to explain it away on social media. A lot of Buhari supporters claimed that he didn't show up because he was worried about security. What, what, what is your view, Ose? Is, is, this, is, this a, a, is, this, is this the correct way for the commander-in-chief to behave? I think it's, you know, I, I, I think the people around the president um, are advising him wrongly. And I think, you know, what he's doing um, and the advice he's getting and the advice he's acting on um, it is very, very dangerous. Um, this is your, your chief of army staff. You are the commander in chief of the armed forces and the, the head of the operational head of your your army dies in, in active service. You are meters away. Asurok is, is a couple of kilometers away from the army cemetery and you could not attend. But he flew in a couple of days um, earlier. He just came back from an international trip in Paris over an investment summit or some other ridiculous thing. You could fly across the seas to attend that summit. Um, but you, you can't drive, uh, take a five minute drive down to the cemetery to honor your, your fallen chief of army staff. You know, even if you didn't want to come to the, to the funeral, you know, COVID protocols, security, whatever, you could have had the prayer service in the villa for the man. And then from there, they would take his body to the cemetery. But you didn't speak. We didn't see you or hear you speak. We heard your 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 aides parroting ridiculous 
nonsensical words that mean that, that are valueless as far as I'm concerned. Um, the vice president could not attend because his commander in chief was in the country and was on was on duty. So in what capacity would Osimbajo be attending? You know, when the president has bypassed him and sent a representative, he was unable to attend. You know, and you know, I I, I think about a soldier who is on the front lines, um, who is putting his life on the line for this country and for this president. You know, and you look at the type of signaling that's coming from Asuruk that you are too scared for yourself or your own skin. Let's assume it's a security issue. You are too scared for yourself or your own skin to come out and honor your fallen soldiers. It's, it's very, very concerning. And it's even an indictment of, the, of our entire security architecture that you cannot protect the president at one venue. What, what does that mean? How can that be an excuse? You know, it's, it, it concerns me again, just because of the insecurity, just because of the, our poverty, uh, unemployment figures. You know, it, it concerns me when you don't see a leader building bonds and or strengthening bonds with the armed forces. It's truly, truly concerning. If there's a um, silver lining to this, to this cloud, um, I pray, I honestly pray that the president uses this as an opportunity. Um, he, has, he has fluffed many before. I pray he uses it as an opportunity to unite the country. So don't pick someone from Katsina, don't pick someone from Kanu. You have many, many competent generals from the Southeast, from the South-South, from the Southwest. You know, surprise us, you know, and be a truly Nigerian president and replace um, Atahiru with someone from another part of the country. You know, it's, it's disappointing for me personally because I sort of was warming to this, um, to the chief of, the late chief of army staff. He seemed like he was a true officer and a gentleman cut from the cloth of our old um, past uh, military leaders, um, you know, that 1970s, 1960s era, the Gowans, even the, his diction and the way he spoke. Um, it's a loss, it's a setback, setback for this fight against insecurity. But I hope we can sort of like salvage it by picking someone from the South um, so that the armed forces starts to resemble the Nigerian armed forces and not, not um, a Northern armed force. Thank you, Ose. It's interesting that you say you were warming to him because he reminded you of the perhaps good days of the 70s when officers were committed. I, I want uh, Phoenix to respond to that because the, these, these are the facts we have in, in the public domain. Uh, firstly, the late Lieutenant General Atahiru was the GOC 82 division in Enugu at the time that there was a crackdown on innocent Southeasterners under the guise of fighting so-called IPOB. And a number of Southeasterners were killed and brutalized by the military under the command of Lieutenant General Atahiru. And secondly, there was a video of Atahiru appearing before the National Assembly where he appeared rude and condescending 
to democratic authority when they were asking him questions. So to Phoenix is Osa's warming to this chief of army staff. Is, is, is that something you agree with? Or do you think perhaps um, his antecedents did not uh, give you cause for hope? I, I think it's 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 hard to say whether you agree or disagree. I mean, clearly, I think he he states why he was warming to him. Um, I can I can see reason with that. Yes, I mean he spoke well. He seemed to be disciplined. But but I I certainly was not warming to him. Why? Because for me he there was already a deficit in terms of the. Um, the controversy around his appointments, I mean, some of the things you've talked about, the fact that, I mean, he was allegedly removed from, from leading the uh, Lafia Dole, I mean, the Pokwaram, um, uh, prosecuting that on basis of non-performance by his predecessor, only to be, I mean, no one would have thought that this same gentleman would be thrust into leading the entire army and then having responsibility for that. I also saw that video of his uh, his uh, being at the National Assembly, even though I have scant regard for members of the Ninth Assembly, it is true that he was quite condescending, which is not what you expect of a, of a service chief who is who's is supposedly confirmed by the National Assembly and answerable to the people, I mean, through the, the National Assembly itself. So yes, for me, he still had to prove himself. Um, I had not yet seen anything to show me that he was going to be um, any different, even though, like I said earlier, I was holding out hope that at least the fact that it's a different voice, it's a different um, brain, um, he seemed to be more of a, an infantry, a, a battleground leader than his predecessor. Um, before Buratai came to, to, to the chief of army staff position, he was director of procurement, if I remember correctly. So it was more of an office type. This, this guy has been in battles. I mean, I remember reading something recently that he was apparently um, in Liberia doing the Doing, doing, I mean, serving with Ecomog at that point in time. So, I mean, his, his men have spoken about him and, and all of that kind of thing. So, I, so for me, I was holding out hope that given that experience of, of being a, a, a battle-tested officer, he would understand what is required and be able to do it. But, I mean, sadly, he's gone now. I mean, less than four, four months into the role. So we'll never know if he could have made any difference. Um, but I won't go so far as to say, I, I mean, I can understand where Osei is coming from. It's, it's his perception and, and the prison through which he was looking at it. But from my perspective, he still had a lot to prove um, to show that he was a positive change on his predecessor who was an outright failure. Thank you, Phoenix. I'm beginning to uh, suspect there's a pattern here. Osei seems to fall for people who speak well because... <laughs> He used to also be a fan of the vice president because the vice president also apparently speaks well. So uh, I think he's been, been seduced by, by people who speak well. But anyway, on to our next topic. Our action governor of the Kaduna states, Nasir El-Rufai, always seems to be involved in one drama or the other. Uh, this time, 
El Rufai announced that he was going to be laying off over 40,000 civil servants in his state. And obviously the labor unions were not happy because they claimed, first of all, he'd not paid them the salaries that he was supposed to pay them. And secondly, they had not even been given their uh, terminal benefits or redundancy pay, yet he's fired them. And they organized a protest, which is apparently, which is supposed to be a democratic right. But in response, Rufai ordered their arrest and then fired nurses working in a hospital, alleging that they, 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 they switched off an incubator holding a baby. That story also turned out to be false because the parents came out and said that never happened. So firstly, to Rotimi, um, the law, does, does the law empower the Kaduna governor to to unilaterally order the arrest of labor union leaders? No, it <clears throat> doesn't. Um, so uh, case of El is, is, is a very peculiar one where he is both, or rather he's at the same time the governor as he is the head of the you know, directorate of public prosecutions, as he is the jury even before cases are brought to the courts. Um, uh, I mean, certainly when people are, or workers are entitled to, to go on strike to express their grievances, and apart from those who might be restricted by, by special laws from doing so. And, and, and certainly it's also against, you know, best practices worldwide that or rather, it's against those practices to victimize people going on strike. So you, you can't punish people for going on strike, for instance, because in most places where the rule of law is, is present, they would be heavily compensated for that, in addition to you know, keeping their jobs anyway. Um, and what Arufai likes to do, and I, I don't know whether it's because compared to, to his cohort of governors, he's perhaps you know, a bit more articulate. I, I suspect this is one of the more articulate people that will say will not be falling for, but perhaps because he, you know, <laughs> has, that, has that measure of being articulate or perhaps because he was a star boy in the Obasanjo regime, which to my mind and in statistics that were published a few days ago have born and that that was probably the best time you've had since 1999. And it carries on like the solution to everything is to be brash, is to appear forceful, is not to even consider any compromise at all. And it will be his greatest feeling as a politician. You know, so um, so the original question was, uh, is he entitled to sack everyone and, and order them arrested? And no, he's not, he's not. Uh, he, he oversteps a lot, but um, he, he, he's in a party where people feel what we need in Nigeria are quote-unquote strong men, so he, he's likely to get away with a lot of it. Thank you, Rotimi. You actually touched on an interesting point because I'm going to bring in Ose now, but you did mention that, yeah, he's very articulate and you think he's one of the uh, kind of uh, men Ose will fall for because of his uh, sweet talking ways. And it's interesting, Ose, because I remember you, you wrote an article 
about El Rafai, explaining how you actually did used to fall for for him. And I think you said you, you even dedicated your master's thesis to, to him. So perhaps you can... Oh my God, can, can you go back and rewrite that? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to bring Osa in, first of all, to... It seems you have a soft spot for well, well-spoken uh, men, Osa. So firstly, can you explain to us, first question, what, was, what is it about soft-spoken, articulate men that seems to tickle you? But then, more importantly, because of that article you wrote, what is it about... Governor El Rufai that seems to always drive him towards controversy because the governor's forum, even the federal government, tried to recommend a negotiated settlement with the Labour Congress. But El Rufai has none of wants none of it. He's demanding total surrender. So perhaps also you, you can tell us more. Like what, what is it about peace or negotiations that El Rufai struggles with? You know, so I, I have who fell for Buhari in 2015. Can you hear me? Oh, yes, I can hear you now. Can you guys hear me? I can, okay. hear, I can hear you now. Yeah. So I have a lot of sympathy. I have a lot of sympathy for people who voted for Buhari in 2015. Um, it's, it's very easy to, to be conned by... Um, the sweet talking, smooth talking, you know, it's very easy to be taken by artifice, especially when you're looking for um, transformational leadership. And I, and I think at the time I was young. Um, and to be fair to Erufai, you know, I don't think anybody will say he's unintelligent. He's a very, very brilliant man. He's a very, very um, hardworking man. And I think he may have been the hangover from uh, uh, military. Um, years because when Erufai came in as minister of the FCT and even as BPE um, director general, he was very militaristic almost. It was, you know, he wanted something done, he would push it through. Um, he was very disciplined. Um, he would be the first person into the office. He'd be the last person uh, out. Um, there were many numerous stories of him, him work, working himself to exhaustion, like literally collapsing uh, from exhaustion. So it, it was very easy to, to, to look at this guy as, you know, the ideal. It was somebody you wanted to be like um, uh, when you grew up as a politician. Um, but, you know, I, I think his excesses were sort of... Uh, tamed or restrained by Obasanjo. And um, when Erufai became a governor, um, when he became an executive governor, when he literally became above the law, we, we sort of started seeing um, what unrestrained um, ambition um, and a sort of, uh, I don't know whether I want to say devious cunning um, that I maybe probably mistook for intelligence uh, can do, you know, and, and for me, the problem is, you know, I don't mind ambition, I don't mind, you know, sophistry, but when your actions and words start costing lives, directly or indirectly, it, it becomes problematic. You know, look at the recent statement he made about 
they wanted to go in and you know they would have lost a few students and you know you don't talk like that about human life you know about other people's lives um and i think when you 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 sort of position yourself as a leader who has no regard for the sanctity of life you know you cannot lead as far as i'm concerned you know so it's it is disappointing. I, I, I really held high. There was a cohort of leaders at the time. It was Erufai, it was Fashola, it was Ungozi Okonjo, where I was uh, Ribadu. I really had hope, high hopes for that, you know, class of leaders. I thought they were really going to transform the country. It seems only Ungozi has, you know, really lived up to her potential. Um, Fashola has crashed and burned. Uh, Eru, um, Ribadu is nowhere to be found. I don't know if it's it with PDP or APC now. It's, it's difficult to keep track of his journeyman uh, political struggles. Um, but, you know, going back to Arufa, it's, I, I think it's just for me personally, it's just the fact that I have true concerns that as a governor, God forbid, as a president, you know, his action directly or indirectly will cost lives. You need empathy as a leader, um, and he doesn't have it. He hasn't displayed it. I think he sees it as a weakness almost. You know, so these negotiations are almost zero sum. There has to be a winner. There has to be a loser. There never seems to be room for compromise with anybody, with bandits, with uh, the NLC, with political opponents. And you, you, cannot, you cannot rule or lead a society as multicultural as diverse as Nigeria's not to even talk about Kaduna if you don't have that ability to you know to negotiate and, and compromise and he doesn't have that so regardless of his articulation um, regardless of his intelligence I, I think he fails the basic the most basic um, um, measures you need to have for for leadership in any climb uh, not not to even talk about Nigeria Thank you, Ulse, but the point I wanted you to address, apologies if you did, but what I want to, you to clarify is, what do you think changed in El Rufai that, or what is it about his internal makeup that just makes him pro-controversy? I think he's, you know, it's, so, so what, what I think he is, uh, I, I think he's, a truly brilliant man. I think an Erofai with empathy would probably be the greatest Nigerian president, the greatest African president we've ever seen. Um, but, but I think the problem for him is that he felt or he feels, you know, merit is how you get political office. And unfortunately, that's not how um, political seats are, are filled. You know, so Erofai cannot phantom how anybody would pick an alien Yadua over the genius that he is. And when you, you, you sort of start, when, when society doesn't reward what you think is, doesn't give you what you think you rightfully deserve, um, if, if your makeup is, is shaky, you start to unravel. And I think what we're seeing is the unraveling of, of Erufai. And I worry about, I worry for the people of Kaduna because as we get closer and closer to 2023 and it becomes more obvious that Erufai is not going to become Nigerian president, I, I think you start seeing, um, God forbid, an unhinged Erufai in Kaduna State. Um, for instance, how do you say you sack nurses 
in the middle of the pandemic just because they decided to go on the strike. You know, who, 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 who reacts in that, in that way? I think the intervention of the federal government doesn't even help matters because we forced Terufai to eat humble pie. And um, he, he doesn't seem like the sort that, you know, uh, will let this fight go. I, I think there will be, there'll be, you know, penalties he will impose on the states, on workers. Um, and, and I just, I just, I just pray, I honestly pray that, you know, for the first time in, in, in maybe our, our, our recent democratic history, I pray we don't make the mistake by, by electing this guy. I honestly pray for the sake of Nigeria. I pray we don't, we don't elect this guy into public office. Um, I pray his stint as governor is the last we see him. Holding. Hello, Osa. I think you've got on mute. Yeah. Are you? Yeah. Are you so yeah, office? I said I hope I hope I hope this is the last we see of Rufa as a public officer. Um, at, after twenty twenty three, I hope hope he, he you know he rides off into the sunset and he never never you know um, pollutes our doorways with his. Um, with his shadow ever again with his uh, small small shadow uh thank you Ose. let me bring in uh, <laughs> uh phoenix at this point um phoenix i don't know how it happened but there was an audio leak of el rufai discussing with i think some of his aides and apparently he blames ganduje of Kano for the protests in Kaduna. He claims uh, Ganduja is, 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 gave money to them to try to destabilize his state. But I, what, why is Ganduja or why are Ganduja and El Rafai at war? And what is this about, Phoenix? I think, I, I mean, anybody who's followed, okay, so the starting point, Kanu and Kaduna, I mean, they, they, they hold uh, pride of place in the North uh, as two very key states. Um, I think anyone who's followed um, the politics, especially within this APC era, has seen that, I mean, Ganduja and, and Erufai tend to be in different camps. Um, I think Erufai is very firmly anti-Tinubu while Ganduji is on, on the Tinubu side. So I'm not surprised that, I mean, they've pitched their tents on, on opposing side and, and therefore uh, they snipe at each other. Um, <laughs> but then, I mean, for, for some of the reasons that Jose has talked about, I mean, for me, there's always there's also a, a clear lack of introspection on on uh, on Fai's part. So I'm not surprised that he will be looking externally to to blame someone rather than to look internally. That's not to say that Gandhiji is not is not um, doing what uh, um, Fai has accused him of. Um, it is very possible. I mean, from what I'm saying, I mean they they're not allies. So it is very possible that Gandhi could do something like that to destabilize him and make him look bad. The race for 2023 is on and uh, everyone is jostling 
and, and, and the game would like more, nothing more than to bring him down a peg or two. But back to my point around introspection. For me, I mean, if, if I mean, if Erufai looked internally, he would also see some of the things that he's doing that, that give rise to this. I, I've looked at the reasons that he's given for this massive clear out that he's looking to do of public offices. And, and the things that he's saying do not add up. They don't make sense. And that's why I always quarrel with people who tell me that he's a brilliant person, he's this, he's that. If he is that brilliant, I, I don't see it in, in what, what the outcomes are for Kaduna State. Rather, he foments trouble and creates problems. This is a, this is a man who, who, who looks after a state where 42, 43% of the working population are in agriculture. But you continue to foment trouble between herders and, and, and farmers and taking one side. When you look at the thing he's telling you about, oh, our state finances do not all of a sudden allow us to do it. But this is the same Elrufai that has been doing a song and dance and getting all his media bodies to talk about the fact that he has quadrupled IGR since he came into power. That IGR has jumped from 15 billion annually to, as of last year, 51 billion. He clearly has not quadrupled the, the state workforce. So why all of a sudden can't he pay salaries? Why all of a sudden does he need to, to lay off a significant portion of people? When you look at the, the numbers, even fact, between 20, okay, 2019 was no pandemic, right? Nothing happened. They, they got 67 billion. 2020, in the middle of pandemic, they got 63 billion. So is it the 4 billion Naira drop that all of a sudden has made his state unviable that he needs to throw everything, I mean, into disarray, just because he wants to have his way. He comes up with these things that he needs to overcompensate for his obvious lack of stature by seeming to be powerful and seeming to, you know, this is the path I want to take and regardless of what you think, I'm going to do it. I mean, Kaduna State Government is going to right size and nobody's going to stop us. We're not going to negotiate with anybody in the gate even waded into the crisis as, I mean, per his role as Minister for Labor, and he refuses to negotiate. But there's no, there's no fiscal basis for, for the case that you are making. You cannot, in one, in, one, in one setting, tell us that, oh, I'm doing fantastically well for Kaduna State, and then next minute tell us all of a sudden Kaduna State is so impoverished that they cannot meet their wage bill. Those two things do not make sense. This is the same guy who almost tripled their capital expenditure in one year. Between 2018 and 2019, he jumped from 60 billion to 148 billion. This same guy has increased the debt for Cardinal State by almost five times since, since he's come, become a governor. So, so when people tell when people say all these things about he's great, he's doing great things there, he's, he's the best things in sliced bread, or if he had empathy, he, I'm sorry, I do not see any evidence that tells me that this guy is, is, as, is as good as they say he is. Everything is packaging. And he has the media in his pockets. I mean, they, they, they spin all sorts of tales. You hear all sorts of stories and it just doesn't make sense. There's zero introspection. There's, there's zero accountability for, for the choices that he's choosing to make, that he's putting the state in disarray. And until he does that, I mean, he, he, he has to live with the consequences of what he's doing. 
I hope, I mean, it's even good to even finally see the NLC wake up after the six years that we've seen where they seem to be acquiescent and just accept whatever this APC government has done because, I mean, they got into bed with them to, to help bring them to power. But, I mean, for them to be deciding that they want to go after this particular state government, I mean, it's, it's, it's good to see and we'll see where, where it all lands. But for me, he had better go and run his numbers again and uh, make sure that when he wants to tell tales about justifying why all of a sudden in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a time when nationally we have unemployment of 33%, when in Kaduna State you have an unemployment of 44%, you want to, you want to throw more people into, into the unemployment market. Meanwhile, people should ask him, who has grown the, the workforce in Kaduna State? In 2017, he was, I mean, part of the justification he was giving, oh, in 2017, we, we had a scuffle with NLC when we, when we, when we laid off 21,000 um, teachers and replaced them with 25,000. So you added 4,000 more teachers into the workforce. Who asked you to do so? Why three years later, all of a sudden, now it's a problem for you? When in that same space of time, you have quadrupled IGR. It makes zero sense to me. So for me, all that talk about Ganduji, yes, they, they, they are clearly in opposing camps. Yes, I mean, it's possible that Ganduji might be adding some uh, fuel to the fire, but this begins and ends with a refine and uh, he needs to put his house in order. And more importantly, people need to start calling him out on BS and you know, really start digging into the numbers, start digging into details and challenging this myth that they built around this guy because what it tells me is, you know, the myth of competence will continue to grow. One day they'll be able to make up and tell you, ah, he's turned over a new leaf. Just like they told some people about reformed Democrats. He might not get to presidency in 2023, but he can go away, go to Harvard, go to Oxford, play for four years, come back, and all of a sudden they will tell you that he's been remade he has built his competence internationally. He's a, he is introspective all of a sudden. He's a good guy. And next thing, he's in, he's in power and Nigeria gets into his worst <laughs> phase. So for me, a lot of these things need to be challenged. Thank you, Phoenix. I, I quite agree with you that uh, I don't know what it is that's going on internally within Elrofi, but uh, something is, is, something is not quite right with uh, that governor. But anyway, on to our third and final topic. Atiku Abubakar, former vice president uh, of Nigeria under Obasanjo, uh, serial presidential candidate. His last attempt at the presidency was in 2019, uh, in the one he controversially lost. Uh, he issued a statement on Twitter uh, last week uh, in response to the Southern Governors Forum meeting and press statement. Now, Atiku basically, I think the controversial thing he said was, he, I think he talked about the fact that it's not enough for Southern governors to issue statements that you cannot clap with one hand. And that seemed to get a lot of people on Twitter upset. And they began to say things like, why did he not uh, issued these statements when Northern governors were meeting. Why is it now? So firstly to Oset, can, can you talk us through 
what the issue, why Atiku came under a lot of attack, and what what the what the issues are. Jose, please. Okay, so um, there sort of are two two issues here. So the first thing is that you know there's a very very large voter voting block in the north um, that has a very particular mindset, you know. So it's it's a religious block, um, and politicians, you know, even southern politicians need to be aware of this block especially if you are running for the presidency, you need to sort of like appeal to that block. Um, so you can't come out and say, for instance, you know, you're going to make Nigeria a secular state. You're going to repeal or try to repeal Sharia law. You, you will lose the North. Um, so so I, I sort of understand. So, so there, there's that. And there, there are certain issues just because of the sensitivity of the issues. You, you, you sort of see politicians, again, even Southern politicians, Jose, are you there? Not you commenting to, on them. Sorry, Jose, you seem to cut out. Could you uh, just right. rewind? If you, if um, for a it's particularly uh, say you've got on mute again what's wrong with your i think it says having a connect also can you hear us can you guys hear okay can you guys hear yes we can hear you now can you hear me yes yes we can okay uh, let me try and start okay i'll try to speak very quickly so i think for article for article there, there are two things you know the first thing is that there's a large northern voting block anybody who wants to run for the presidency has to be aware of um, even if you don't appeal to them directly you, you don't want to piss them off you don't want to alienate them for Atiku, it, it's it's particularly difficult because he doesn't get the benefit you know that your ganduje would get or your kwankwa so even your erufai would get because he sort of is seen more like a southerner you know his base is more like southern you know so they sort of question his northerners even northerners question that you know so he has to work you know almost extra hard almost doubly hard you know to maintain or not piss off that northern um voting block the problem however is that you know yes we understand why you might be silent but if you are going to be silent, then be silent. You know, if you are going to be silent about um, Pantami, for instance, and the issues around having a terrorist sympathizer as a minister, don't come up and then start sympathizing when somebody dies from religious ex extremism. If you don't come out and condemn religious extremism, don't come and mourn the death of victims of religious extremism. You know, and, and, you know, if you don't condemn the excesses of the North, you don't come out and condemn Fulani, uh, armed Fulani heads that are killing people. You don't come out and condemn statements like the, the uh, Attorney General's where he, he, he issues a dog whistle that puts um, countless Igbo, Igbo lives at risk in the North by comparing them to, to Fulani heads and saying, you know, if you, 
if you ban one, then, you know, we could as well ban the other, you know, and you don't come out and condemn actions or, or a statement by Southern governors reacting to an almost an existence, existential threat. They are reacting to people, foreigners, I'll call them foreigners because they are not Southerners, foreigners coming and killing farmers. That's what they are reacting to. And they are saying we should ban it, ban open grazing, and then you come out and issue a ridiculous statement. I, I, I think um, I, I, people are sort of realizing that maybe we had hopes that, that article was different, you know, and he could come out and would not, you know, push this northern agenda for want of a better and uh, descriptor, you know. But you, you know, it, it's it's. It's, it's, you know, there's only so many times you, you know, we can turn a blind eye to this type of behavior where Atiku is silent at the excesses of one section of the country, but has words of wisdom for, for the other. Um, and, and I think people sort of have had, have had enough. Um, personally, I would not be voting for Atiku as a delegate, if I was a delegate in the party, I would be voting, I would not be voting for him. I might have to support him because I'm a PDP member if he gets a ticket. But I am not enamored at all with the idea of an Atiku presidency, just because of the age, just because of everything he represents. I think we, we need to move away from this type of, of cowardice, for want of a better word. If you're not going to speak, then just shut the fuck up, is, 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 is what I feel. Um, so he, should, he shouldn't speak, you know, talk about football, talk about Arsenal, talk about your kids, you know, they are lovely kids, but your grandkids, but don't come and be preaching to us when we are trying to literally save our lives in the South. Don't come and be preaching to us. Talk to Bo Harry or talk to your, your fellow Fulani headers. Thank you. Thank you, Oset. I'd like to congratulate you for the first Profanity used on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I apologize. <laughs> this, this used to be a, a Christian Pentecostal podcast, but now you've uh, <laughs> anyway. No, thank you. I, I quite agree. I was going to bring in a text at this point. Um, building on what uh, Osel was saying, he made reference to the fact that. Uh, Atiku was obviously responding to the demand by seven governors uh, open grazing be banned in the south. If anybody wants to rear cattle, they should ranch them. If they're trying to transport cattle from north to south, then they should trans transport them in trucks by road. And the aim was to stop the uh, encroachment into the, the, the land of farmers, which was causing a lot of uh, uh, crisis in the south. Now, the, the question is, uh, our Attorney General Malami, Special uh, Senior Advocate of Nigeria, conducted an interview where he, he basically was opposed to the, to the plan and said, how would we feel in the South if spare parts dealing were banned up North? Now, what is your, how do you respond to that, Rotimi? Was it, was it the correct analogy? Do you agree with the, the logic of the Attorney General? Of course not. I, I disagree completely. And, and I think he did both himself, the, the legal profession in Nigeria and the global legal profession at large, a huge disservice by 
by that piece of incoherence that, that he voiced on, on the channel's interview. Because, like I said, these are people who are, you know, they're, they're committing trespass, they're committing criminal damage, murders and rampages have been linked to them. In what universe are spare parts dealers who are paying rent for their shops, who have proper stalls where people come and transact business with them, they're not hauling their, their containers from China or wherever the spare parts come from, you know, through people's farm, through people's houses. They're not, you know, destroying things on their way to the market. In, 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 in what universe are, are they connected? And, you know, so there was that whole uproar because it didn't make sense. And then someone said perhaps, you know, he was issuing a dog whistle. He, he knew what he was doing and he was trying, like, Again, perhaps to Osset's point about, you know, appeasing a certain base, you know, speaking to the sentiment that would make those people happy, that would, would, would rile up sentiments from that side of the country. And it just brings, you know, everything in, in, into question again, because this is all about, and you know, they all happen on your know, unity and it's non-negotiable and everybody has to be a certain way, but What's good for the oh, sorry, the correct expression is what's what's source for the goose has to be source for the gander as well. If northern governors have been meeting and have been coming out and making proclamations and nobody has said anything, then not in as much profanity as say used, but then everybody else who didn't talk then should shut up right now. Let southern governors also speak. Northern governors meet foreign dignitaries as a block. Nobody has said anything about that. And when these guys come up and try again to paint it as if it's the South that's being unpatriotic, they never actually address the issues that the Southern leaders are complaining about. If the terms of unity from the perspective of Northern politicians is and the South has to take whatever destruction cows cause and the owners of cows cause on, on routes to the markets, then that's a unity that is not beneficial to anyone. If, if the unity is predicated on a senior-junior partnership, like one stupid statement that was released by, either it was the ACF, or again, it was a Northern group that described the relationship between the North and the South as husband and wife or slave and master, then of course that's a unity that needs to be questioned and, and, and renegotiated. So, um, and then to, to zero in on Malami, who, who this question was about anyway, he's someone who has consistently not been a good ambassador for the profession. You know, currently he's, he has agreed to be a witness in a personal, in a third party unrelated case between some people and Atiku, those who are challenging his nationality. I don't know what his business is there. Again, his, his postulations of law are wrong. Again, I guess maybe it is an Atiku thing. Uh, there was a time when he was, his office was pronouncing on the contract that a company that Atiku used to be linked to, um, he said force majeure had arisen. And my learned silk SAN said that force majeure means that the contract was void ab initio. 
and for non-lawyers listening. So force majeure is something that has arisen during the course of a contract that makes it impossible to perform. So it's from the point that is impossible to perform that, okay, everybody says, okay, we go our separate ways or we suspend trying to enforce against each other. For the Attorney General of the Federation to say that force majeure having arisen a few years into the contract means that the contract was never valid to start with. I, I sincerely hope that the disciplinary committee of the bar is waiting for him when his tenure ends. He's, he's not an asset or he has not been an asset to the silk cadre of the Nigerian bar and, and it needs to be looked at. Thank you, uh, Tech. I think, uh, I, think I, I agree with you. The first time I saw, I heard Malami speak, even during his ministerial screening sometime in late 2015. Even I was wondering how on earth did this man become a senior advocate? But our final question is to Phoenix. Uh, we need a quick response, Phoenix. Uh, three minutes tops. Um, the governor of Ondo State, Rotimi Akeridolu, who's also a senior advocate of Nigeria, issued a statement responding to Malami in summary, basically telling him that he was talking nonsense. The interesting part for me was when he, he expressed shock that Malami would make those kinds of divisive arguments. Now, the question is, I think it's, it's more or less common knowledge that Malami is speaking the mind of the president, Buhari. Akeri Dulu is a member of the All Progressives Cong Congress, which is also Buhari's party. So is it right or is it sensible or is, is it, is it, is, is Akira Darulu right to claim or to express shock that Malami holds those views? Is he, is he saying he didn't know this when he was campaigning for APC and Buhari in 2019, Phoenix? I think for me, <laughs> I, think for me I don't think it's a, it's a, it's shock at the views, I think it was, it was more of shock at how glibly um, Malami expressed them. And, and I think I, mean, I was having a discussion with somebody today when I said, it's just, that's how daft he is. It, the, the art of subtlety escapes him entirely. I mean, so, I mean, to your point around um, APC and campaigning for Bari and not being, a, I mean, this guy's knew what they were getting in bed with. I mean, APC is a party of strange bedfellows. There's no ideology that binds them together. It was all about, you know, access to power. And, and they, saw, they saw the alliance with uh, Buhari and his CPC gang as opportunity to get access to the center. And they've, they've benefited from it in one way or the other. And they cannot in any way or in any shape or form try to distance themselves from this. They are part of the same party. In that party, there are people who are clearly bigots. And I mean, you can express shock at the fact that they are willing to, to put it out there. That's not like a Malami is willing to put out that kind of stupid analogy um, in the public space, especially at a charge time at the, as, as this. But he cannot in any way express shock that he, does, he, didn't, he doesn't understand or did not realize that they, they have all these this beliefs. That, that's who they are. They, they have not changed. It's these people that keep expecting the Malamis of this world, the Buharis of this world to be, to, to, to be different. That, that always makes me laugh. They are who they are and they're not going to change. 
Thank you, uh, Phoenix. I think I, I quite agree that, in well, my view, the APC is a, is a gathering of uh, strange bedfellows, and I think they all know that. So for Malamit, for Akeridori to be pretending to be shocked by Malamit's news, in my view, is what is actually shocking, <laughs> to be shocked that Malami holds bigoted views. This, this was something that was obvious to everybody. It was also obvious to us from the first day that we heard him speak, that the man knew nothing about the law. So I'm surprised that Akira Dalu is shocked. But anyway, our time is up. So firstly, I must thank our two guests. Thank you, Rochimi. Thank you, Ose, for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here. Uh, I must also thank Phoenix for co-hosting the podcast with me. And then finally, for last but not least, I thank our listeners for being loyal and giving us helpful feedback. And until same time next week, I say have a fantastic seven days to everybody. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, listeners. Bye, everyone, and have a great week. Bye, everyone. Sorry for the swearing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone, and bye.